0: Hello, family. Good to be with you. I I hope that you're having a really, really good weekend. Um, You know, most Christians, uh, when they think about the spiritual life, uh, we tend to think about it as a relationship between Jesus and ourselves, and that's normal. But the Bible reminds us that there is a third party uh, that's involved in this relationship, and uh, he goes by many names, but uh, one of them is Satan. And Satan resists God's people as they try to bring about the healing love of the gospel um, through a hierarchy of spiritual beings. In the New Testament, Paul uses a a cluster of kind of odd-sounding terms to describe these beings. Uh, Ephesians 6.12, "...for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness." against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Or Colossians 2.15, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Ephesians 1.21, He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above. All rule and authority and power and dominion. You see the same words Romans 8, 38, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, or anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So nowhere in the New Testament does he define what this cluster of words means, but they're generally referred to as the powers and sometimes in the secular Greek they refer to, uh, and in the Bible they refer to worldly powers. Sometimes they refer to spiritual powers, and this has led uh, many New Testament scholars to, uh, to to suppose that what you've got going on here are spiritual powers that work through earthly powers somehow. And I, I think, actually, as I was reading our passage for today. I think that's what's happening uh, here. The powers, these spiritual beings, are at work in the story that's unfolded for us in Acts chapters 3 and 4. The kingdom is advancing, Uh, the apostles have healed a lame man, Peter preaches the gospel, people are converting, Uh, the church grows, and then what happens? Um, The powers come and Work through the systems and institutions of the day to hinder God's people from doing what he asked them to do in the world. You know, if you just look at the first few verses, you'll see many kinds of, uh, of resistance to the gospel. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests had said to them. Uh, the Sanhedrin, uh, Israel's most powerful governing body, that, that was the chief priests. Um and they're they're facing you know the highest authority in their religion. Well, the apostles gather their community together for prayer. Before you know it, they're praying Psalm two, which describes God's enemies futilely warring against God. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and His anointed. So this is a psalm that's about all the different. Enemies of God futilely trying to thwart his plans. And and that's exactly what's been happening in Jerusalem from their perspective in the past few weeks. Verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So now, four more gospel opponents, uh, Herod, Pilate, Gentiles, Jews. It just seems like everybody is warring against the people of God. Now, we know how the story ends, but they didn't. And uh, I imagine when you're going up against the most powerful empire on earth and the most powerful religion on earth, and they're trying to persecute you and imprison you, you might feel kind of overwhelmed and hopeless. Um. Yeah, it, 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 it's interesting. Do it, you ever, as a Christian, wonder why it can feel so hard to do good? Have you ever ever just tried to follow Jesus simply in something, and before you know it, everything is just messed up, and you're thinking, what happened? Um, Have you ever set out to do God's will, uh, heal a broken relationship, start a ministry, lead something, reach out to people who are different than you, Before you know it, everything's blown sky high. People are questioning your motives. Everybody's angry, suspicious, cynical, and all you wanted to do was help. Well, the Bible actually teaches us to expect this because it's not just me and Jesus. Um, It's me and you and Jesus and the powers. And the powers, (laughs) I think they're kind of having a good run these days. They seem pretty cocky. Matter of fact, I'm just going to pray right now. Lord, even as we talk about these things, um, don't want to make light of them. Thank you that your authority has given us victory over the powers at the cross, Colossians 2.15. Thank you that we are raised in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, Ephesians 2.4 and 5. Thank you that we walk in your authority, Ephesians 1. Lord, we put that authority on now even as we consider this teaching about the powers and pray that you would guide and protect us from any spiritual warfare in this sermon. Amen. Well, what do you do when the powers are coming against you? When, when it just kind of seems maybe that life is conspiring against uh, your ability to do what God has put you on the planet to do? Well, this passage teaches us we pray. And we are four chapters into the book of Acts. This is our third prayer meeting. And prayer seems to be the default setting of the early church. But, but I want you to see how they pray. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. They pray together. They went to their friends and they pray together. You know, I, I think, not to sound super spiritual, but at this point in my life, my default setting in trouble or challenge is to pray, but almost always by myself. Um, the early church's default setting seemed to be getting people together to pray. Um, here's just a couple of examples of, of corporate prayer in Acts. They pray together for the outpouring of the Spirit, chapter 114. They pray together for guidance in selecting a twelfth apostle, chapter 124. They pray together in their little home fellowships, Acts 242. They pray for boldness in preaching the gospel. We're going to see that in a minute. Their leaders devote themselves to prayer and the word, Acts 6-4. They pray together for Peter after his arrest, Acts twelve five. They pray and fast together, Acts 13-1. Paul and Silas pray together in prison, Acts 16.2. Paul prays with the elders at Ephesus, Acts 20, verse 36. He prays with the elders at Tyre, Acts 21.5. It's a really important part of the church in Acts. Um, Yaroslav Pelikan, in, in, a, in a really wonderful commentary on Acts, he says that the, the emphasis on sermons in spreading the gospel should not be permitted to obscure the position that is occupied by prayer and worship throughout the narrative of Acts, which is at least as important, if not more important, in some respects. See, he's saying that the prayer life of the church was as important as the preaching life of the church and the spreading of the gospel. You know, I was thinking what that might look like for us today today. Um, I, I got a good example. I'll uh, be finishing up at Cedar Springs next week. They've called a wonderful young man as a Cedar senior pastor, and so I'll not be pinch-hitting out there anymore. Uh, but I, I've got some friends on their search committee, and I, I know it, it took them three years, and it was a grueling process. And, but one of the ways that they went about it is they um, put together a little prayer booklet and prayed uh, a psalm each day, seven different psalms um, together, uh, every week for three years. And that became part of their joint prayer together when they came together. And that corporate prayer, I think, really sustained them. Um, I, I think this could look like several teachers gathering each week to pray their way through the, the, the crazy school year ahead. Or uh, I know of a weekly prayer meeting at a, at a local hospital. Uh, it could mean gathering with some parents on your block for prayer. Could be picking a tree at Lakeshore Park and bringing lawn chairs and practicing the protocols. Might be logging on to a morning or evening prayer. My my sense is, is that I'm in a lot of groups with you and others and have been over the years. I think we're really good at emotional support. Sometimes I think we can dig into the word well. I don't know that we pray together that well. Uh, It just strikes me that that part of our group life, our corporate life, is is maybe kind of thin. So you might think about that as we look at the example of the early church. Now, one of the things that you notice is they don't, uh, when they do come together to pray, they don't rush to the request phase. Instead, they begin with five doctrinally packed verses uh, of praise. They address their prayer to the sovereign Lord, and they use a, a Greek word that means absolute sovereignty over all of life. They say He is the Creator of heaven and earth and the sea and everything in the sea. So, because He's the Creator of all that is, He functions as the Lord of all creation. And you can see that that they're actually thinking theologically um, here; that they're being arrested and told to stop doing God's will by the authorities. And so they they appeal to a higher authority to um to, to allow them to to fulfill what they're on the world to do. Then they do. They pray those several verses from Psalm two where God's enemies are resisting God's people but fail. And they've just seen the reality of this play out on the streets of Jerusalem with Herod and Pilate. And uh, <laughs> But what Herod and Pilate didn't realize was that God was sovereign over even their evil. Um, And and, and even in verse 28, uh, it says that he was sovereign to use them to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So this is really an astounding claim that the horror of the cross is actually part of God's eternal plan. So after five verses of doctrinally thick praise, uh they do offer two short requests um before uh we we look at what they ask for though i want to step back and let's just think about prayer a little bit um what is the role of prayer in a difficult time we often think of it as asking for stuff and that is one of the purposes of prayer But another one of the purposes of prayer is to give us hope and courage by reminding us of gospel truths. I think that's why God's people so often pray the Psalms. They remind us of what is true about God in our world. And I mentioned my friend on the Cedar Springs Search Committee, and uh, he, he didn't say much during the process, but Afterwards, he said it had really gotten discouraging at times because it took so long. Um, But that praying the Psalms really uh, encouraged them. And I I asked him for the booklet that they used the past three years. It was just a a simple little booklet that focuses on the character and power of God. Sunday, Psalm 1, God uh, making those who meditate on his law fruitful people. Monday, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Tuesday, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. Wednesday, Psalm 62, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. Thursday, Psalm 130, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing love. Friday, Psalm 131, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Saturday, Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity, for there the Lord bestows blessing. So, what struck me—I mean, this is a prayer booklet for a search committee, and there weren't it was, there wasn't anything in there of specific prayers about the the search. It was filled with um, the character of God. I'm sure they prayed a lot for the search, but their their prayer life was grounded in these rich doctrinal psalms that reminded them that uh, of a God whose word makes us fruitful, a God who's our shepherd, who protects us and gives us strength, who loves us with unfailing love, who saves us and gives us rest, who cares for us like a nursing mother, who smiles upon our unity. You know, prayer is less about changing God's mind towards us and more about changing our minds uh, about God. So one of the ways that we can engage the powers when it seems like all hell is breaking loose and coming against us or we're confused or disoriented, we don't know how to proceed, is to pray and to spend some time thinking about who we're praying to and what he's done on the cross and how he, according to Colossians 2.15, disarmed the rulers and authorities and triumphed over them and that we share in that authority. You know, think for a moment, what, what are you putting your hope in right now? What, what would give you hope? Are you hoping for a new vaccine, um, uh, new leaders new plans for school. Those are not bad things. Those are legitimate desires, and they do matter. But those things will never give you hope. Um, Life's just too complicated. Uh, The the wisest voices in uh, the great tradition, thinking of people like Viktor Frankl, who wrote about suffering after he spent years in the Holocaust camps, they tell us that the way that you find meaning in suffering is is to find meaning in suffering. Um, you you have to see some greater purpose being worked out, um, and that's I think where what's going on in this prayer. It reminds us that God's greater purpose is being worked out, and you know somehow that's happening even now. We've got to believe that. I believe that, and you know if you look around. If you look carefully enough, you could see little, little glimmers of the kingdom of God kind of break into this mess. Um, God is at work, and when we keep our eyes on that, that gives us hope. Well, the community offers uh, two uh, petitions, requests. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And essentially what they're saying is, Lord, give us courage to do what you call us to do. That's a good prayer right now uh, that you might make yourself. Lord, give me the courage and the strength to do the things that you call me to do. And then they pray, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed to the name of your holy servant, Jesus so they ask for signs to confirm that god is with them and there are some scriptures that that discourage the asking for signs normally it's in the context of someone asking um, with lack of faith or kind of in a disrespectful way like hey prove yourself to me but this is a different kind of setting um they just seem to be saying god the odds are stacked against us we're trying to do what you've asked us to do. Could you could you just uh, confirm that we're on the right track? Could you stretch forth your hand, do miracles to show that this is true, that this really is what God's doing? And I, I don't think that's a bad prayer. I've prayed it this week myself for some things, that uh, for whatever area it is that you feel kind of clashed with the powers and struggling to find courage to follow God's will, is to say, God, if I'm on the right track here, would you pray for me? Uh, Or rather, would you stretch forth your hand and do a miracle, do a sign, show me, show others that 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 you're real and that we're on track. I don't think that's a bad prayer at all. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So God answers with three signs. Um, The building shakes, they're filled with the Spirit, and they speak the word with boldness. And the problems don't go away. Um, They're arrested again in the next chapter. (laughs) But they are given courage to keep going. If if you think again about where you're up against the powers, where life seems to be trying to conspire against you doing what God wants you to do, you, you might write your own version of this prayer. You might begin with a few sentences of praising and affirming God for who he is, his sovereignty, and then ask for courage and the enablement of the Spirit to do the things that you need to do. You know, just to kind of wrap up, um, as I look at the coming year, um, I've been praying for spring and planning for winter. Um, And I mean that kind of metaphorically. I'm praying that we get through this, that it goes away quickly, that it recedes as these things have done in the past, and that we're able to move on and get going again and get back to the normal practices that we've enjoyed for so many years really praying for that at the same time i'm kind of planning for winter by winter i mean sort of the worst case scenario that you know what if this got bad and we were kind of restricted for a long time and unable to do the things we want to do for a long time well how do you prepare to sustain that kind of thing spiritually i I think you need to be asking that question, too. I don't think just putting our heads in the sand and wishing it goes away is a, is a strategy. And what I encourage you to think about, my friends, is if this thing goes on for a while, you need a handful of, of friends to be praying with every week. Uh, and of course, protocols and all that stuff, by phone, par- you know, however you feel safe to do it. But that's not an option. Um, you can't get through this by yourself, and if you don't know where to start, um, uh, every week on our newsletter, and on our Facebook page, they'll be on our website too. I um, I put out a little uh, nine-minute meditation on scripture called Electio, and also a little seven-minute devotional teaching, I'm finishing one series now, I'm gonna start another one. If you If you didn't know what to do, you could you both could watch that together, talk about what comes up in you, and pray. That would be one simple way to do it. Um, I hope spring's coming, but we need to plan for uh, for winter, too. And one of the ways you can sustain yourself through a long winter night is to um, have a couple of friends that you're praying with. So make sure that's part of uh, the rhythms of your life. can't wait to see you in person.